You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine, the purest form of nicotine there is. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1. O-U-T-D-O-O-R and the number one. Lastly, many outdoorsmen are trying to quit tobacco altogether and fully loaded chew may be that first step. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast brought to you by Vortex Optics. What's up, all you whitetail perverts? Hopefully, everybody is having a great week, month, day, year. Uh, wherever you're at, I hope you're you're feeling good because I am feeling a little bit better. I'm going to say I am 25% more prepared for this upcoming bow season here in Iowa than I was at this time last week. This weekend, I actually got some time to head out to the timber, put up uh, some trail cameras in uh, three or four different trail cameras on the property that I hunt that's closer to my house. Uh, got a mineral site uh, kind of away from everything. Most of the pictures that I get there are nocturnal. It's kind of a, it's kind of a, the end, far end of a destination uh, food source, and I, I don't ever hunt near it because it's on a fence line. So we got a mineral station up. We have a, uh, with a trail camera over it, we have two trail cameras in some really good locations as far as, uh, oh, as far as travel is concerned. I got one in a really good bedding area. I got one in, on a, on a trail that's kind of, I don't know, it's, uh, uh, it's one of the, uh, one of those trails that kind of, uh, comes off into a, comes off a ridge and before it hits the crick it kind of flattens out into this bench and then there's the crick so in this little area there's all this grass and it, from the looks of it they're eating the grass they're down in this area almost like a staging before they go up the other side into the uh, the clover and hay fields and the destination food sources so those are uh, those are the trail cameras on that farm and the closer we get to the season I may add a couple more and then when the season gets here I'll throw a couple uh, a couple more out yet but the only thing I need to do on that farm is you know I like to run and gun whenever possible 
but at the same time I also like to be prepared so I can hang a tree stand in a traditional rut spot if I don't necessarily you know if I feel like it's going to be a, a good spot to hunt it, why not have a tree stand up in there so I have, the next thing I have to do on that farm is hang tree stands uh, like two maybe three I'm counting my spots here on this map one two three four maybe uh, trim out four trees that are ready for you know in, in your pinch point your staging areas uh, downwind to bedding type scenarios and then those are my kickoff spots right and then as the season progresses I bounce around and move around to wherever uh, I see the deer movement so that's what I'm talking about there uh, my main farm that is over an hour away I have to do everything yet and I'm going to be doing it this Friday so while you're listening to Friday's episode I'll be out in the woods hanging tree stands setting trail cameras and hopefully uh, getting I, I you know I'll be honest I'll probably be working six seven hours at from the time I get there at about noon till uh, you know six o'clock at night seven o'clock at night and uh, hopefully the wife doesn't get pissed <laughs> but uh, that's the goal for this upcoming uh, this upcoming week and I'm hoping that by August 1st to halfway through August I'm done with all of that prep work so that when the season does get here um, I all or I have a whole month these properties are just gonna sit without any type of human intrusion or any type of my intrusion and uh that just lessens the pressure and when it's time to start rocking and rolling i can collect the data and make moves so that's what we got going on for me personally uh, that's my update today we're going to be talking about uh, we're going to be talking to a guy named taylor cummings and he's from missouri and Taylor kind of went through the same scenario that I went through when I started bow hunting. And uh, that was probably passing deer that I that I should have shot. And Taylor talks about the first buck he ever shot with a bow. And by the way, it's a stud. Um, and then he has these trail camera pictures of this giant 200-incher that's running around on some of the properties that he has access to. And so... He's chasing this deer, his second, third, you know, fourth year of bow hunting and or whatever the story is. And he's passing deer that he has, you know, that he's never shot before. You know, he's passing 130s and 140s in hopes that he can uh, get this monster. And um, it's a it's a really unique conversation because not a lot of people do that. And it takes restraint to pass deer that you've never uh, that you've never uh, shot before. I know I had to do it back in the day when I was chasing that, uh, like late 2000s, early 2010s. I was chasing this buck named Shipwreck. He was, uh, I shot him on my birthday, didn't kill him. He was like 210 inches. And uh, I'll tell you this, it's, it was, I don't know, it, it's crazy. I talk about, I talk, I talk all about it in uh, today's episode. But before we get into today's episode, we are going to do some commercials. And uh, let's kick it off with Excalibur crossbows now. Um, if you are looking to get into hunting, I, you know, and you want to just get out and experience quote unquote hunting and experience, you know, the archery season, 
uh, you know, I, I really feel that crossbows are a perfect, is a perfect opportunity for, for those types of people, you know, or if you just want to shoot a crossbow, there's that too. But uh, Excalibur, and the reason I'm working with them is, you know, in Iowa, I don't have the ability to shoot a crossbow and I'm okay with that. I'm a compound guy, but when it comes to uh, crossbows, Excalibur has been around for a very long time, and these guys have figured out the crossbow, right? They've been, it's, it's crazy watching their videos online. They're throwing, they're throwing their, their crossbows off of water towers, dragging it behind trucks. They pick it up, they shoot it and it functions fine. So that tells me you can beat the shit out of their equipment. And at the same time, it's going to perform on the back end. Great materials, right? Uh, great people who work at the, you know, who work for the company and you add all these things up and the end product is something that the end user is going to be very happy with. And if there's a problem, you can call the company, they're going to answer the phone and they're going to help you solve that problem. So that that's just a win-win for the end user there. Great product, great customer service. So what I'm going to recommend you guys do is if you know someone who could use a crossbow or you yourself are interested in a crossbow, you can go to Excalibur Crossbow dot com and check out all they have a huge lineup uh their new one is called the twin strike it's a uh it's one crossbow that holds two bolts and i think there's two triggers on it it's crazy looking you'll have to look into that um, but they have you know the the assassin series they have the uh, suppressor series um it's just some really cool you know really really good company really good products and uh, go check it out excalibercrossbow.com lone wolf portable tree stands dude if this is the first time you've ever heard of this uh podcast you got a lot of catching up to do um and but every time you hear me talk about running gunning i have a lone wolf uh portable tree stand on my back right and four sticks and the assault tree stand and that's going to get me anywhere that i need to go whether i use all the sticks or not or i want to get as high as humanly possible uh the four sticks and the assault is my go-to running gun they have climbers they also have the alpha which is a bigger platform but uh why let me real quick why do i like lone wolf portable tree stands the ability to climb up any tree the ability to sit in a crooked tree because the platform levels and whether the tree is leaning in or out or back or forth or right or left, you can get that tree stand level through the cable adjustments and through the screws on the seats that you can sit perfectly level and it won't hurt your back and you won't be uncomfortable and it's dead quiet setting up and it's dead quiet uh, tearing down. And it's, it, it's one of those things you hear this all the time, first time in best time in, and you can do that with a lone wolf. So if you want to find out more information of all of the products that they offer lonewolfhuntingproducts.com And if you do decide to purchase something, enter the discount code. And here I'm, I'm, I'm never ready. Cause I have a whole different sheet of paper that has all the discount codes on it. And it's right here. Uh, lone wolf. 9FC21, 9FC21, and you're going to be able to save $50 off of all purchases over $200, lonewolfhuntingproducts.com. Uh, next one, Ozonics. Dude, if you know me, 
you should know that I'm a huge fan of ozone and ozonics provides that, um, both in the field and the, and outside of the field. Right. So here's a couple package deals that these guys are running over at, um, ozonicshunting.com. They have the Orion, uh, deal and it looks like there's what, what's in this, uh, uh, the Orion deal. The, the Orion Pro Pack. All right, so you got the Orion, you got the carrying case, you got an XL battery, you got an extender, and you got a dry wash bag. And let me tell you, um, not only does the Ozonics, in my opinion, work very well in the field, you know, distorting your scent cone all the way down to the end, it also is the functionality outside of the field, you know, back at the garage, back at the house, you put your clothes in the dry wash bag, you run a cycle, it kills all the odor, it prevents you from having to wash and dry your clothes, so it just makes everything more efficient. And I bet you last year, even when it, with it hot, I wa- in a 14-day period, I washed my clothes one time. One time I washed my clothes just to freshen them up, and then I still run them through the dry wash bag. So uh, ozonicshunting.com, please go out, go and check out all of their products. They have a new one that plugs in your car, so the ozone cycles uh, in there cleaning out the inside of your car uh, because I, you know, I'm kind of a dirty guy when it comes to hunting season. All the wrappers get thrown on the, the floor, and it smells like a cheeseburger or something like that. It smells like gas if you get a little on you. Uh, kills all that odor and if you want to get a free dry wash bag with a purchase of an hr or with a unit all you have to do is enter the discount code nfc21 nfc21 and you can get a free dry wash bag with a purchase of one of their one of their units and lastly what do we got here lastly i'm gonna get this website up exodusoutdoorgear.com i've been a fan of these trail cameras for a very long time um i still have some of the first orders i met these guys i I think before they were even selling trail cameras uh, and i messed around with them and why do i like exodus trail cameras because it's very simple when you turn them on they work and i know that's how all things should be if you buy a phone you should turn it on and it should work you buy a video camera you should turn it on and it should work. You buy a trail camera, you should turn it on and it should work. But my experience with trail cameras are just not like that. You know, sometimes you have to do a whole bunch of other shit in order to get the trail camera to work properly. It's not the case with, uh, with Exodus with their trail cameras, man. I feel so confident because all I know is when I turn it from setup to on, I walk away from it and I'm confident that that thing is functioning in the woods like I'm paying for, right? Uh, all this all this hard work that we do um, throughout the year to acquire things, right? Um, and if I go out, there's nothing that pisses me off more than a trail camera that does not work. So, man, they have, you know, they have a whole bunch of different options or they have three different options to choose from whole bunch whatever they have the render which is their cell cam uh they have the uh, sp18 which is a solar panel that extends your battery life they have the lift and they have the trek uh go check all all of those out exodusoutdoorgear.com and these guys are running specials throughout the year too so follow them on social and uh you can find a way to save on uh some of the uh uh you know some of the uh, offerings that they you know, have outside of their normal retail price, exodusoutdoorgear.com. 
And I'm sorry I have to do all that to you, but I appreciate you guys listening to the commercials because that's what pays this bill. That's what keeps all the lights on here. That's what keeps this podcast running. So I appreciate your time listening to those. Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. Be sure you subscribe and download on iTunes or wherever you download uh, your podcast. And uh, let's get into today's episode with Taylor Cummings. Three two, one. All right. On the phone with me today, Mr. Taylor Cummings. Taylor, what's up, dude? Oh, not much. How you doing? I'm doing good. Where do you live? Um, I am about 30 minutes south of Kansas City, Missouri. 30 minutes south of Kansas City, Missouri. Are you on the Missouri side or the Kansas side? Missouri side. Missouri side. Okay. All right. Uh, what do you do for a living? Um, I repair aviation equipment. Oh, That's very interesting. Like when you say equipment, we talking about the dials and knobs and electronics in the dashboard of an airplane. Correct. All, all that stuff. We get stuff from all around the world. Um, and yeah, we have commercial, we have, um, private stuff, uh, and some military contracts for for our company. So yeah, that's cool, man. Very interesting work. Uh, so you, you pretty much, let me, let me guess. You have to read a lot of instruction manuals. <laughs> yeah, it is um, insane how strict they are, and for good reason, obviously. Yeah. Uh, there's a there's a lot to it. We're we're kind of guided by DOT and FAA, FFA. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, they they watch us pretty tight, and we have audits all the time for what we do and don't do. Yeah. Well, like you said, it's, I mean, it's mandatory for a reason, right? For the safety of everybody who, who gets in the air. Like yeah. you, you hear about, and then I don't want to freak anybody out, but you hear about, oh, a plane went down because of a, a wire was crossed or something, you know, like what, cause when you, when you're in the air flying, you have no forgiveness as opposed to a vehicle that you can kind of just ease off to the side of the road. You can't just like, you can't ease off to the side (laughs) of the road when you're at a couple thousand feet. Right. Correct. Yeah. That's, that's the big issue there. So that's crazy. Like once we get done with the repairs, like we get double checked and then it gets triple checked before it leaves. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of tightness for it, which is obviously a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. All right, dude. So, uh, are, are you originally from Missouri? Yeah, I I live about, oh, I don't know, 15 miles from where I basically grew up. Gotcha. So. Gotcha. So you're south of Kansas City. Uh, what's the terrain like in that in that area? Um, it's a lot of ag. Uh, there's some woods, you know, um, for the piece that I hunt on, I'm pretty fortunate. It's like a family friend, and but it's about 60-40 when it comes to woods to – he doesn't have much ag, but pasture, and then there's ag all around us. But there's um, not a lot of topography, like like ups and downs, you know, in valleys um, yeah. a little bit, but not not deep ridges or anything like that, like it is in northern Missouri. Gotcha. Okay. So I just I just kind of want to cut to the chase here because yeah. you you send me this story or this this very small snippet through Instagram, and you say, "Hey Dan." Um, just wanted to let you know I shot my first buck with a bow in 2019. And I'm just like, oh, dude, it's awesome. So I look at the picture. I instantly hate you 
because it's big, right? It's the, it's a, it's a big deer. And, and just for, um, I guess, uh, audio purposes, did you happen to score it and age it? Um, uh, age it? No. Cause I wasn't, that wasn't a big thing to me until about two years ago, or I guess right late, right after that is when I really started learning about that part of it. Okay. But yeah, we did score it. It was actually at a buddy's farm of mine up North. Um, they have this awesome piece of property in Northern Missouri and, um, just luck. So have it, he happened to walk behind me, like right at the end of shooting light behind seven does who I, I was kind of ready to get one of them. And then it was like, man, it's so late. I don't really want to do this. So I just stood there and then all of a sudden they blew and took off and I looked back down the trail and here comes him. And, um, yeah, he was 151 inch. It's like a mainframe 10. And then he has two like one inch kickers off the front of each beam. So technically a 12, but he looks like a 10. Yeah, if you could see me right now, I'm shaking my head. First deer ever, Dude. 151 inches. That's ridiculous. Yeah, with a bow, yeah. I've yeah. gotten a 141 with my rifle like six years ago. Yeah. And that was also, that was more just like right place, right time kind of thing. Yeah, so so let's kind of get into this um this store the storyline because it's going to lead in it's going to lead us into something but this uh like when did you uh, officially start hunting um so that was when i was like 19 or 20 my dad didn't um and actually my dad passed away when i was younger uh but none of my family really hunted my brother-in-law not at the time we were just dating my my now wife um he invited me and um kind of just went on a whim to just you know kind of hang out with him or whatever and it sparked this thing and at the beginning it was more of a brown or down and just basically walk in the woods and sit down and hope something walked in front of you mentality i didn't know any different and not that i'm an expert now by any means um but yeah so uh, like roughly almost 20 years ago so 18 years ago ish okay so that's when you you picked up a gun and and started Correct. messing around with hunting right so what right. was what was gun hunting okay now let me let me set the stage here on this on this when did you pick up a bow when was your first hunting season with a bow um let's see that was probably it wasn't long ago um maybe like 2017 okay 2017 and yeah and what happened was is a buddy of mine the one where i got that owns the farm up north uh he just in passing because we used to go up there and ride four-wheelers around was like hey if you buy a bow i'll take you up hunting and uh so i bought a bow and started practicing like crazy and sure enough he took me up there and i had one of the most insane like first day hunting i think bow hunting wise like i had the highs and the highest of highs and lowest of lows it was wild but it was great yeah so i was hooked from there on out okay so before we get into the bow hunting side of things, I want to talk about the gun hunting side mm -hmm. of things, right? So, so yeah. all of those years uh, go by, fifteen to eight or like fifteen years go by, and you're just a gun hunter, right? At that point, right. were, were you taking hunting serious? Were you? Um, was it just something to do, or were you jacked about it, geeked it, out about it? Like, walk us through that those years. Yeah. So. No, it, it was not, um, or I was not jacked about it. It was more of a social thing, and I would probably get two to three days a year, like honestly, like I'd go opening weekend for the whole weekend and then maybe one more day. Um, and that's why it was kind of the brown or down because the opportunities, I mean, I really couldn't pass anything if I did want to harvest anything. 
Um, and uh, I quit there for a few years just because I was so unsuccessful at it. Um, I think I hunted like four years and never really had opportunity just on my own accord because I didn't have anywhere great to go. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and, you know, I just, I wasn't into learning it, I guess. And then once the bow part of it came in, it just accelerated everything. And that's what really fueled the, the, I don't know, the obsession, I guess, yeah. is what it has turned into. Yeah. It, it's, it's crazy. Uh, to think that, you know, there's, I'm guessing there, I, I don't have any statistics to back any of what I'm about to say up, but here's what I'm assuming. I'm assuming there's way more gun hunters in, uh, in the United States than there are bow hunters. And I'm assuming that there are a ton of stories just like yours where you, you got this bow hunting experience and then it, it changed from a hobby or something you did every once in a while or maybe four days a year. And it flipped into this crazy obsession, this passion, this, all you think about like bow hunting, bow hunting rewires people. If that makes sense. Yeah, I would a hundred percent agree with that. Like, uh, like that first day I shot a doe opening morning and I passed like a basket eight, which would have been my first buck. I mean, he was 15 yards broadside at a food plot and it, but I knew how they did things and I didn't, I, I knew that they passed on young deer. So I wasn't going to do that. And, um, I shot a doe later on that morning. And then that night I go to a different stand down in the bottoms and I watched and what I know now, he was easily 140 inch 10 pointer and he was anywhere from 30 to 10 yards from me underneath my stand, but also with like six does and they were just milling around and I didn't have an opportunity for like what seemed like an hour, but it was probably like 20 minutes. And then finally, I, I, what I thought was a great shot. Now looking back, I front shouldered him and we never found him. So that's where it's like the highest of highs. I got this doe my first time ever going bow hunting. And then, and then I shoot what I thought was going to be my biggest buck at the time. And, and then we're, weren't able to find him. We tried for two days, but yeah. just part of it. They actually got, got him on camera a few weeks later, um, like limping. So he made it, but I mean, obviously that's not what you want. Right. So let me ask you this. Um, these guys had a brand new hunter on their property and you said to yourself, well, Hey, if I'm, if I'm hunting on their property, I kind of, I kind of got to live by the rules that they, they live by. You're right. That's, it's almost out of, uh, I guess decency to it's do like that. Code, I guess. Yeah. Some yeah. kind of code, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. were they okay with you shooting whatever you wanted to knowing that you were a brand new hunter or did they give you rules before they let you on this property? No, he, he flat out told me, um, Hey, your first one, you get a freebie, like your first buck, whatever you're fine. Um, but so fast or backtrack a little bit. So the big one that I got with my rifle, the 141 inch, like mainframe eight, he's yep. in, like he was only three eighths of an inch off from one side to the other is insane. how symmetrical. Anyways, I shot that on a buddy's farm who did tell me that I couldn't shoot big bucks. And at the time I didn't think this was a big buck and I shot him and then I, I was never told not to come back, but I was never overly invited to come back. Okay. So I wasn't <laughs> about to screw this up, you know? I gotcha. And even though he told me, but like that was in the back of my mind, like don't mess this up again, even though it was by accident because they were shooting like 180s, you know, and I thought that's what he meant. But yeah. apparently a really nice eight-pointer uh, qualifies as really big, and I didn't know that at the time. Yeah. 
Well, I, and that's, you know, when it comes to access, right? And that's something that uh, you walk, everybody has to walk this line, right? Especially if you're hunting on someone else's ground who maybe invites you. And, and if they have rules, it's almost like you have, I mean, you definitely have to adhere to those rules or you're going to be out of farm. Right. So I, dude, I get it. Right. I get it. But was there any, like, what was, what were the thoughts going through your head those first couple of years as you're passing deer that you, you had never shot before? Um, so the first year I shot like that one and we couldn't find it. And then, um, I actually had a really good year. I shot three does in my bow that year, my, my opening year and a turkey from a tree stand, which is pretty wild. Uh, and then the following years, I don't feel like I had a lot of opportunities at bucks. Um, I was kind of, I would go up there a few times. I had another buddy that had a pretty nice farm, um, also Northern Missouri. And, um, I wasn't hunting much public if at all, really. And then we tried it a little bit, um, a buddy of mine and, and just weren't very good at it. And again, at the time, this was probably three years ago where I really hadn't started to like focus on learning and trying to become like an actual hunter essentially whereas more just somebody tells me to go sit in this stand and you kind of just guess you know oh it's in the bottoms because it's windy outside and I don't want to be in the wind and I'm guessing that they're not going to want to be pretty much where I was at for a few years and then yeah yeah so yeah um yeah so like a set of restraints on you unlike if you were hunting on public right where it would just be right you could do whatever you wanted I, I feel you. Um, all right. So, so 2017, you shoot a doe, you, uh, hit a buck, don't find it. Um, what was, what was 2018 like? Um, I'm trying to think it was good. Uh, I feel like I got a doe. I didn't get a buck and I'm, I'm sure I didn't even have an opportunity at one. Uh, and then, I, I got one with my rifle, but nothing of you know nothing to brag about or anything like a nice eight or whatever. But uh, 2019 is when everything kind of really switched, and that's when I don't even want to talk about it. But when the big one showed up on our property, yeah. I guess yeah. So in 17, he was like a 150s and in, in 17, but he was super nocturnal, and we never ever had it opportunity yeah so walk me through this switch that you said you, you had a, a big switch what does that mean so um what happened was is um anyway so i was watching this one and he had like some trash off to the side and, and i was like oh this is kind of cool and like i'm guessing he's probably this is in this 18 year and and then checking cameras and really just my son and i were pretty much just throwing out trophy rocks and had maybe four stand locations like on this property and um, my brother-in-law hunted it with me and then um last year or the year before last so 2019 that's like that kind of off season i guess is from 18 to 19 is when everything kind of accelerated when we realized that this buck um had gone into like the 150s plus and he was there a lot i was getting lots of pictures even though there were a lot of nighttime pictures but there were a few daytimes on the edges of fields and i only had three cameras at the time so we were kind of like shuffling them around to try to catch where he was moving through and coming from um and and yeah and that's when i really started like listening to you and wired to hunt and um 
the insults, like all those guys, like, oh, okay, this is how they do it. And, and it really started to kind of learn the, the thermals and the wind directions and, and all the different ins and outs of it that I had zero clue about before, except for just guessing. Right. Yeah. So it sounds um, like you jumped into gaining knowledge. Yes. Yeah. I mean, so when I'm working I can listen fairly easily to podcasts or just be, cause it's kind of like background noise when I'm doing things. And, and yeah, and I would just listen just nonstop. And I watched a lot of like the hunting shows that like kind of explain it, like why they did it. Yeah. Um, Midwest Whitetail is one of them or hunting public, like those guys, like where they kind of backtrack and explain why they moved to these parts or did this and kind of just try to soak it all in as much as possible. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, and what year was that? That was the year, was that 18 or that was the beginning of 19 when you were? Yeah. Beginning of 19. It was like kind of in between those two. Yeah. Okay. So the season gets here and you've, you've just throughout the summer, you've consumed all of this, this information. How did you apply it to the 2019 season? Um, so that's when I, um, when, so for instance, like when we were up North, I was, you know, more worried about the wind and, um, the direction of the wind. And that's what, and a buddy of mine, like when I was talking about moving to the bottoms cause the wind was blowing in a certain direction on his farm. And he's like, nobody hunts over here on this stand like ever. And, uh, so I was going to go there in the morning, but he said it was kind of hard to find in the dark if I'd never been there. So he's like, go there in the afternoon. And, the funny thing is, is so I, I walk over there and this is when I get that one fifty. Um, so like I walk over there and where it sits, it's across the bottoms and like a Creek, like a big Creek from the stand that I wanted to sit in. And, uh, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm like, watch, I'm just gonna watch all these gear in this feed plot 200 yards away that I wanted to sit in just like that background noise in your head. And, um, a buck actually stood up right when I sit down and they have like really nice custom wood stands, like where you're pretty covered when you're sitting. And he like just stood up and kind of walked away. And obviously he saw me, he was like 40 yards away, but he wasn't big. He was like, like a six pointer or whatever. So I was like, well, that's kind of a good sign. And yeah. And then, but like, it was, you know, I was sitting there thinking like, oh, okay, it's evening. So the thermals will be dropping and I'm already in the bottom. So that should help. And it's what my thought process was. And like, it's downhill towards that Creek. And I was thinking, that was the way the wind was blowing and everything should hopefully funnel down to that Creek. And then out was my thought. I don't know if I was right or not, but it worked out. Yeah. So. Yeah. So where, I mean, had you scouted this property at all? Did you know anything about it or was it just kind of, Hey, go, go hunt in this tree stand. Cause nobody hunts there. Um, scouting. No, but like he has four wheel trails and stuff like that throughout the entire property. And they're up there. There's like deep, ridges like leading down to that bottom area that i was talking about and it's like 80 percent woods and just a couple pastures uh but no so like scouting no like did i ever chop through there and look for things they've they've owned it since like the 70s so they have a really good idea how deer funnel through there and and all those things so everything like i said when it's prime like it really is like you anywhere you sit you see deer it's pretty incredible yeah so so what about uh, trail cameras? I mean, it sounds like the guys who, uh, pr- whose property it is were, I, I don't know, somewhat involved in the deer management and knowing what deer were on the property. Uh, did Was there trail camera pictures of this buck, or, or did he just show up out of nowhere? 
he just showed up out of nowhere, but I was about, I don't know, 150 yards from their property line. And from where he came from, he was bedded up on a ridge on that property is where he came from. So my guess is those does came through, he came down and was just going to follow them to food, right? Because it was right at dark. Yeah. And so um, I just, again, happened to be right place, right time on this one. But the wind and the thermals and all those things, I think, did play their part for what I was like brainstorming that afternoon because he came from the opposite side that where everything was moving from, like winds and thermals. So. Okay. Now, um, uh, so walk us through you know, obviously he, he came, you know, you told us a story at the beginning where, you know, the deer came through, they, bl- they blew. Um, now that you n- know a little bit more, you've had a couple seasons under your belt on this property. Um, like, do you know where he was coming from to where he was going? Like why he chose that line? Um, I, I did not cause I had never hunted that stand. Um, but the way that that property sits is if you're in the bottom, there's basically his ridge lines, like all the way down the edge of the property and then the neighbors. And so you're kind of like in this low funnel area for everything. And he even told me like, there's a trail 25 yards behind the deer just run down it. Yeah. And sure enough, that's what those does and that butt came down. Um, so, okay. All right. So y- you take that buck right now. Yep. This was 2019, right? But yes. in 2019, you got some more information on a different buck on a different farm, correct? Correct. This this, this one is, is the start the of a, a different story, right? Yeah, and this is where this is the property that I have full access to. I don't. It's not mine, but it's like family of mine, and this is where I go and my son goes, and it's like. 20 minutes from the house so we can go as much as possible it's, it's great yeah okay so walk us okay walk us a little bit of you said it's 65 acres yeah okay so walk us through the 65 acres how it's laid out talk to us a little bit about the neighborhood i, I want to get a good image of this property before we dive into the rest of the story so it's 65 acres and it's it's a bunch of like what would have been farm property like previously but over the years has kind of consolidated down to like there's like houses that have five acres and then there's a farm buddy enough to us that has 120 acres and then um ours is the 65 and then across the street there's like a 40 so it's a bunch of just cut up properties so if there's anything decent he's not just like on mine or the neighbors or anything like that i mean they're they just kind of cruise through all of that but like when you pull in there's um there's some like kind of shrubby like bedding area and a pond and we kind of just kind of call that the no zone in um and then there's a big pasture a pond with a huge elevated blind next to it which is awesome yeah uh and and then there's there's like, there's kind of like a low, it's really weird because it drops like 16 feet, like elevation in the matter of like, I mean, just like straight downhill. And then there's like some ag down there, um, that is leased, but we have permission for it. Um, and then there's like, I don't know, probably 12 acres of woods down and I call it the bottoms cause it butts up to a Creek and the ag. 
and then there's like a northern like 10 15 20 acres that that i primarily try to stay in when it's the woods because it when i'm hunting woods so that that's where they funnel through to food and bed and all those yeah okay all right so we got the layout now all right so 2019 you like when does this new buck all right do you have a name for this buck so we can ha- just use it as a reference uh, I, I never named him. I don't know why. Uh, I don't have anything against it. I just I just called him the giant just because it was so in the summers when we first got cameras, like pictures of him again, and he was so nocturnal. And then all of a sudden he came to this mineral spot that I have in that 10 or that 10, 15 acres. And um, his first pictures, like the, I mean, I, my jaw dropped because I'd never seen anything like that. And like, especially on something of the, that I hunt on. Yeah. Um, even my buddy up north sends me pictures of great bucks that are one sixties, and, and he shot like a you know an upper one fifties, which is a great deer. Um, but you knew even at early velvet, this thing was different. And then yeah, and then he just kept coming back during day. And this is early summer, right? So they're just popping their velvet. Like basically, right yeah. now, I think the first picture was the twelfth of June. In in twenty nineteen. Um, it, no, cause he was shot last fall. So, of 2020. so June, 2018 so after 2019. or no. So when was the first, what year was the first trail camera picture of this buck? Oh, I'm sorry. That was 18. Yeah. Okay. That okay. was when he just had a little bit of trash on the side and was like a one forties, one fifties. Okay. So, um, he was noticeable. I mean, he, he had a unique, he had right. unique characteristics that made him stand yep, out. And we, Yep, and then the following year, so 2019, is when we got some more pictures of him, and his trash had kind of got a little crazier, and mass had really stuck out. Like, before, he was just pencil-y and had these weird things kicking off the sides, and now he still had the weird stuff, but he, like, gained a lot of mass, and that was when, I mean, if I were to guess in his videos that I got on him on trail cameras and things like that, he was easily 170 up, okay. like, 170s. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, so... Um, so when did this buck, so, okay. So in 2019, you, you shot your other buck and does that cancel you out from hunting him in 2019 or was he, um, was he even on your radar to hunt? Because, um, he was on my radar, but it, I couldn't cause Missouri had just changed. I don't remember exactly what year, but they had just changed it to where you can only get two bucks and it can be both with bow. But if you get one early season, you can't get it until after rifle season. So Uh, it's kind of this weird, like you get three buck tags or any deer tags, but you can only shoot two and it's in a weird sequence. So, and I shot that, that nice one fifties, um, like October 5th. So it canceled out like the meat and potatoes of bow hunting because I couldn't shoot a buck. So I kind of just stayed out until rifle season. Okay. All right. Um, so 2019 you shoot your buck you stay out 2020 comes um he's he's a big dog at this point he's in the 170s right uh were you actively hunting this deer at that at that point yes okay and yeah so like late season 2019 i was hunting him like heavily okay so and and never really had an opportunity Okay, so you never stayed nighttime. All right, but 
did you gather any information from his movements, like his bed to feed pattern or where he was coming from to where he was going? And were you able to use that information for the upcoming season in 20, uh, 2020? Yes. Um, so he was using um, kind of the edge of that acreage on the far side of the farm, the, the like patch of woods and the pasture. Like that's where I had him all the time. And then there's a pond by that elevated blind and I had another camera kind of on the edge like of the corn. And so he would like circle around there and I could catch him on camera moving through there. But it, like he was exclusively at night all the time. And I was like, man, this guy never comes out at least yeah. on my cameras. And I couldn't, couldn't get in front of him. So, yeah. So nocturnal straight up in, in yep. 2020. Yeah, yep. dude, that, that sucks. I've, I've had a handful of really great bucks I like I hunted his core area, but he was only in his core area in, in that part of his core area at nighttime. So it would be like, yep. you know, anywhere from 10 at night to four in the morning. And he, he'd cruise through looking for does, check the food plots or not the food plots, but check the egg fields and, and run through the pinch points. I'd get them all, get these bucks on camera all the time. And then what do you know? Daylight comes and they disappear. Now, a couple of these deer, You'd have to just catch them on. It, it would be straight luck at that point where, hey, man, yep. I'm just going to put myself in the right position. And I hope he finds a doe on my property and stays close to these doe bedding areas. And yeah. um, sometimes sometimes you see him from the stand and sometimes it's just trail camera pictures, man. 100%. Yeah, that was the like all the second part of 2019 is when that was all happening. Yeah. So, okay. So, um, 2020 hunting season then, uh, was he still nocturnal all of 2020? No, that's when, so the summer, so last summer would be the 2020 summer, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's when I started getting him during the daylight on mineral blocks, like on that, that, that acre or that woods on the North side. And I mean, and it was like every three days he was in there and, and this is when he exploded um, to, uh, I mean, it, like you, you knew at the very, very beginning, like this is something different. And once he kind of filled out, it dawned on me that which bucket was like, obviously I don't have that many huge ones, but I didn't think that he would have exploded from the one seventies to what he ended up being last year. Okay. So he goes from one seventy in the 2019 season, right? to mm-hmm. this freak uh in the 200s right yep, yep. all right in for the tw- uh in the summer of what would be 2020 right right okay yep. so this 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 is where it gets weird for me because you've only shot one buck with a bow and now you have one target like this deer is your target it sounded it sounds like like yep. it's this buck or, oh, yeah. or, or, or bust basically yep now yep. knowing what you knew from the previous year uh in 2019 how how he was running the property you had him on mineral uh mineral sites uh during the summertime correct yeah that's when i was getting him on camera well i had him on camera the whole time but that's when he was like daily almost yeah okay so so then uh the the season gets here and does is he going back to a nocturnal uh, route or is he sticking like is, is trail cameras telling you that he's still making daylight moves when when the season starts because missouri season starts what september 15th or 16th or something like that 
the fifteenth. Yeah. So, so no, he he was way more like I guess visual or whatever. Not with my I, he was on my cameras way more this last year than he ever had been before. It's like I would get like the first year I got him like maybe four or five times throughout the season, and that's when he was you know one fifties, and then when he when he blew up a little bit to like the one seventies. I got him maybe 10 times. And then now I was getting him in the summer and even starting of the season, I was still getting him like almost weekly coming through. And I was, I started like an Excel spreadsheet of what was the moon phase, the wind direction, which way did he come from? What camera I caught him on? I mean, it was like, that's when everything really took shape of like me learning and truly trying to figure out like, okay, what do I have to do to try to get on him? And I saw him once um, with my bow. I actually had an eight-pointer underneath me. Um, like a night, he was decent, like a 120s, 130s. Uh, and he was 15 yards underneath me. And he came up, and all I could see was rack. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And he was probably 40, 50 yards through the woods, so no shot. Um, but there was a trail where he was walking to, and I was hoping he was going to come in and circle down that trail to see what was up there. And then he just snorted and kind of just walked off. And so I don't know if he winded me or just felt uncomfortable or what, but that was the one like major encounter I had with him. And you want to talk about heart stopping. <laughs> a little, a little poop in your pants. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it was, it was unreal. Like it, and it all happened in seconds, but it seemed yeah. slow motion all yeah. at the same time. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, all right. So, so you had this encounter with him and when you have an encounter that close, man, I've had, I've had, I've had a couple, it really like it almost for me anyway, it's just like, all right, I was close, no cigar. It just like gets me hooked even deeper into this one, one buck. Yep. Like you're, you're literally 10 steps away from shooting him and, right, and it doesn't work out, but he goes away and. And, and then after that encounter, did was he still on trail camera? I mean, was was he still working that same area, that same farm, or did he disappear? He was, nope, he was. Uh, it was a little less frequent, but it had kind of started to lead up to be less frequent at this point, anyways, because it was early October. Um, so he kind of started moving once season started, like they all do, because they're smart. Um, or at least the smart ones do. And, and then, you know, he started kind of gradually moving into where I would still get pictures, but they were more predominantly at night, maybe one random one during the day kind of thing. But it was always like right before night. So I was trying to constantly play that cat and mouse game of how can I get ahead of him, but still be out of wind and not bust him wherever he's laying because he had to have been somewhat close. Cause I mean, I would catch him. So in Missouri, we can shoot 30 minutes after sunset. So if it's, you know, six, you can shoot till 630. He would be there five minutes after that. And so I knew he was close, but I could never pinpoint. I had ideas and guesses where he was at, but I'd never seen him go to bed or anything like that. Yeah. Did you consider moving your tree stand, I guess, what would be five minutes closer to, to wherever he was coming from? Yeah, absolutely. We did. Um, and then he was gone. Uh, and like I said, it's a bunch of little properties. So I kind of coming up to like the really big part of rut, like right before rifle season, I thought somebody had gotten him because there's so many other hunters around us. And I knew somebody had to have known of about him. Actually, uh, the neighbor that I talked to that has the 120, 
he was like, hey, have you seen any good ones? And at the time, I was like, man, this guy's got to see him, like, obviously, because he's coming from that direction. But he never would admit it, and I would never admit it either. So we we, we were both lying to each other the whole season, and then, yeah. Yeah. All right. So any other encounters? Now, now let, me, let me take a step back a second. As you're actively hunting this deer, right, uh, the, the mm-hmm. previous year, in 2019, you shot this 150-inch deer. You had this this other buck, uh, and it's the only buck you've ever shot with a bow, 151 inches. Um, you're actively chasing a 200-incher. Um, what kind of deer were you passing throughout the season, uh, that 2020 season, in hopes of passing on these deer to get at the, the big dog? Um, 130s. Mostly one thirty, like just yeah, yep. But I mean, I I had some one thirties eight pointers that I could have like dropped rocks on them. I mean, they were that close underneath my stand. I mean, chip shots, yeah. and it's like nope, just sit tight. I had one time I had a doe directly downwind of me, and I know it's not a buck, but she and she had two young ones with her, like yearlings, and I was like, oh no, I hope she doesn't bust me because I was on that tree line where he comes, and I was like, if she blows it, you you know, everybody has that heart sinking feeling. And she stood there for five minutes staring right at me with the nose or the wind blowing right in her face. I'm like, oh, no. And she stomped and did the whole head bob and everything and then finally just walked off. And I was like, holy cow, that works out. But uh, it did. And obviously I never saw him. But there were so many. I learned so much about the property just chasing him. Um, The knowledge that I gained was like, I mean, you can't even, you know, it's not, it's invaluable, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. But. So, all right. So you're passing deer that, you know, still for a new hunter. I mean, obviously a score, but, and I, I tell this story a lot, almost every time a scenario like yours comes up, man, I, I did, I did pretty much the same thing that you're doing uh, in the, what would have been the late. 2000s uh and the early 2010s right so in 2007 i uh let's see it's either 2006 or 2007 i shot my very first buck i don't know it would have been 2006 i this the yeah i think it was 2006 shot my very first buck ever with a bow 2007 comes i have an encounter with this boone and crockett this giant whitetail um and I start putting trail cameras in the area. Well, those trail cameras, 2008, this buck kind of disappears for a little bit. Didn't know what really happened to him. 2009, he's back. Uh, no, it would have been. It was the 2006 season. I had encounters with him. 2007 season, I had encounters with him. 2008, he kind of disappeared. 2009, uh, he was 180 plus. Uh, probably closer to the oh. the 190 mark, and then to uh, 2010, um, he was in the 230s, or excuse me, not 230s, in the 210s, right? And it, like he's right around that 210 inch mark, and I actually arrowed him on my 30th birthday. I'm 40 now, so roughly 10 years ago, I hit this buck and I hit him high, and I think I hit spine right on like right on this tough part of his spine it didn't like on the bone part of it spinal on the spine not this like not enough to kill him i think i one lunged him and he recovered 
and the the next year I got another trail camera picture of him and in 2011 I got the uh, another trail camera picture of him long story short neighbor shoots him but what what had happened was I I had so much focus on this one deer that when he did come up and I had no dude I was passing ridiculous deer I was passing 150s and I had never shot a 150 before I was passing 140s I was passing a ton of like 133 year olds and I had I had literally other than in 2009 I had I had had not shot uh really another buck right I was chasing this one deer Right. And it all came from this conversation I had with a farmer. I showed him a trail camera picture of like a 130 class uh, 10 pointer or something like that. And I go, Oh, look at this big buck. He goes, What are you talking about, dude? That's not a big buck. Right. That's, that's not a big buck. There's giant, there's, there's deer three or four times bigger than that one running around here. And that is part of the reason I started passing deer plus this other big buck that I had been chasing. So when the moment of truth came, I was like, uh, hey, man, uh, I, I'm, I'm going bananas in the stand. Like, I'm shitting my pants. I'm drawing back. I'm shaking. I, like, I'm, everything that you practice and that you learn goes out the window, right? Yep. And there it is, right? This moment, and I, I kind of botched it because I was too worked up because I had no experience dealing with big deer or really deer in general. Right. So I, I kind of regret, you know, I don't want to say I regret doing what I've done, but at the same time, I regret not shooting more deer just to get myself comfortable shooting more deer. If, if that makes right. sense. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So as you're actively shooting this, I mean, were you saying like some of these other deer were, were coming through and Pat, you're passing some of these 130s and 140 class deer. Were you saying to yourself, "Man, maybe I should shoot one of these deer"? Yeah, um, big time. There was one night; it was getting closer to rut, and or maybe you know, like that that early November. And for us, that's like right before uh, right before rifle. And um, I had two bucks come in, and I mean, one was like trash and trees. And honestly, at this point, because I hadn't shot anything, and I think I hadn't had pictures of him for like a week or so, or maybe two weeks or whatever, and I kind of decided like, man, if this guy comes over, because he was 150s, and he was all, I mean, it was just the whole encounter itself kind of like just got me hyped, and I would have regretted it, but in the back of my mind, I was thinking that somebody had already got this guy anyways, because I hadn't seen him for a few weeks, Um, but uh, they never came closer. It was really cool to watch him, because... They were they were in the area for a reason. I never saw a doe, but maybe she was over the ridge line, and I just didn't see her down there. And that's what they were doing. But it was it was really neat. I ended up last weekend of rifle season. I had passed all these things. I was getting so frustrated, and I was even getting to the point where um, I was kind of like down on deer hunting because I was passing all these things I knew it was for a greater cause. But like I wanted a win, and I ended up shooting like a small uh, seven pointer with my rifle to get meat in the freezer, kind of get my morale back up. And when I throw out scores, it's strictly like, I don't care what anybody shoots. If you're happy with it, cool. I was happy with this one. Um, but it's, I use it more of a reference just for, just for everybody that listens to this thing. Like it's, I mean, 200 inch, like then everybody starts kind of perking up because you know what you're talking about, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and a buddy of mine, he had an incredible season as I'm like 
passing, 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 and he gets a 150s and a 160s like within 10 days of each other. I was like, good gosh, man. <laughs> but anyways. Yeah. All right. So, so 2000 or the 2020 season seems like it's kind of winding on and you, you had that encounter. He disappears for a couple weeks. Um, it sounds like you made a couple adjustments uh, in your tree stand locations. Nothing really mm-hmm. uh, is coming from it. He's still kind of disappeared. When does he show back up again? So I don't remember the date exactly, but it was the area that I was constantly hunting. And, um, like it was this pinch point behind the pond leading into the woods. And I mean, this area is like 70 yards from where I had all the pictures of them, like the mineral site. And it's like kind of a cut through. And, um, all of a sudden I happened to be checking my cams. And as I'm like walking to my stand, I'll grab a card and check it that night. And, uh, he was there and it was during daylight. I'm like, Oh no, like he's back. Like, this is awesome. And my son and I went out and moved and he's eight at the time. Um, he, he was there basically in case I fell. Cause it was just a hang on with some climbing sticks. And I adjusted a stand like that midweek. I went in the middle of the day when the wind was right and shuffled this thing over to kind of cover that area. And I ended up shooting a doe, um, my very first sit in it. Um, there's like late morning where nothing else was moving and she came through and it was like, well, I'm gonna leave this stand here. This worked out great. Yeah. So, okay. So, um, what time of year is this though? This is after rifle. So probably, uh, early December. Yeah. All right. So it sounds to me like you had some freedoms as far as hunting. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but if the intelligence was there, you were able to make a move on them. Like you lived fairly close to this property. Um, you were able yep. to hunt it really whenever you needed to. Is that right? Yeah, I ended up. So last year, I think it was uh, Mark Kenyon was talking about making a log and he kind of like wrote down. And obviously deer aren't going to be in the same spot every year and it's not really what it's about. But I started doing that and I forgot how many sits I had, but it was over 100 hours is what I ended up putting in last year. Um, trying to track this thing down and maneuver through the woods as smartly as I possibly could, even though I probably overhunted it and it may have hurt me, but I didn't know that at the time. So, okay. So you had this encounter later after the rifle season. Um, what happened, you know, throughout the rest of the 2020 year? Um, so, so I had gotten a small buck with my rifle as a morale booster, essentially, and to get meat in the freezer because we do eat it a lot. Um, and then I ended up shooting that doe out of that new stand placement. Um, I wasn't – no, I was getting more pictures of them, but they're strictly nocturnal, so I was kind of mapping in my mind where I can get at, you know, and all – because it's only 65 acres and there's only so many places to sit. So, like, I felt like I had kind of – maximize my ideas of how to outsmart him and he was just winning the game and um and then late muzzle loader season which a buddy i don't have one i've never been he's like oh you can borrow mine and i was like oh it's all right um you know i we don't have time to cite it in and all these different things and um yeah so actually a buddy of mine or the neighbor ended up harvesting him the big buck okay so So but I got, I got to tell you this. I chased this one buck for like five years, four years, whatever it was, five years. And I put 
all, in some years, all of my time and energy into this deer. I mean, I was, I was playing it by the book. I was hunting aggressive. I was knowing when to lay off when the wind wasn't right. I was checking trail cameras at the right time. You know, one of those things where it was like, uh, um, uh, and some of those trail cameras were back in when I, the only thing I had was film too. Right. I, I had film right. trail cameras. So I checked my trail cameras. I walked to the, um, you know, I, I go to the drugstore. I wait, for one hour I'm parked outside of a drugstore waiting for the, uh, the film to develop. I go check the trail cameras. Okay. He's not, he's here. He's not here. And by then it's like a week late or whatever. You know what I mean? It's not like today. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, it's not like today where they got cell cams and they got other, you know, all this other stuff. But my, my thing is, um, with, with, with this buck, I found out my neighbor shot him and I was, I was just like, part of me wanted to be like, uh, asshole that's my deer i worked so hard from him and i tell you this the guy who shot him is a really really good guy all right buck makes his third 200 inch buck he that buck made the cover of north american whitetail right just like this huge like just it was gorgeous the the whole story behind yep. it i was interviewed uh in the story as well um just like a whole bunch of really cool things go down with that then we have um what, what, and then I show up to his shop one day to get some, uh, before the, cause he shot this in October. I was taking my vacation from November 1st to like November 14th or something like that. Uh, back when I was working the cubicle life. And so he's like, Hey man, come back here. He goes, we take him back to, uh, his, his shop and he shows me. And I like had this breakdown. Honestly, I did. I, I got teary eyed. I got real emotional and it's because this buck that I had all this history with taught me personally over this five-year period so much about how big mature bucks operate that it is that I think about like whenever I'm chasing another mature buck these these days I'm thinking about what that buck would have done in the scenarios that are given to him and most of the time uh, that leads me to having encounters or figuring out deer patterns or deer movement in in whatever scenario that I'm in now. So it's almost like this one deer set the foundation for my hunting strategy and my hunting knowledge and how I make decisions based off of the information that is has been given to me, if all that makes sense. Oh, no, it's a it's 100%. It was like this was the the catalyst that kind of – you know, sent me forward. And I, like I said, I am not an expert by any means. I'm still learning and just absorbing everything that I can get and use it. Um, but it, it really did like just everything that I learned about the, the patterns of the deer movement, just in general through this property that I kind of just hunted ish up until this year. Like I, I bow hunted it, but not like aggressively or anything like that. Um, this was the year that it at all essentially just changed and, and now I'm really looking forward to just like, I got another decent one on camera already. Like I leave them out all year cause my kids enjoy seeing, um, you know, seeing the fawns yeah. and the, the bobcats and stuff like that. So like we check them regularly, we fish down there and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. So but, when you found out that this guy, uh, you know, ended up shooting that deer, did you have any, uh, like, 
were you able to see your deer pick up the rack and you know and touch it and feel it and take a look at it i have not seen it yet um i i kind of want to ask but i don't want to like press it i asked just the other day because we were texting each other just about the upcoming season um and uh he said that he hasn't got it back yet but um yeah i kind of want to see it i don't know where the guy lives because it's my neighbor and then it was his friend that actually got it um or the neighbor the, the property's neighbor or whatever yeah um but I would assume he lives somewhat close. But yeah, and actually funny story. So like earlier this year, after he had already shot the buck, I was out just kind of wandering around shed hunting and I found the big bucks shed from the year prior. Oh dang. Like it sat there all year long. That's yeah, awesome. It's, and it's like, it's like 78 inches, just the one side. Um, it's crazy. And it has all the trash. And I, I texted to him because initially I had thought, uh, like, oh, my gosh, there's another giant, you know, walking around here that we hadn't seen yet. And he sent me a picture from that year, and it was, like, spot on. I was like, oh, no, that's his right side. Like, that's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, that's awesome. All right, so so this uh, this journey ends with this deer, right? Um, so what is yep. your goal now going into the this, this 2021 season? Well, um personally it's it's going to be a really unique year so my son is nine and um he is he's gone with me the last three years and just sat in the stand with me he's seen me shoot a buck with my rifle things like that and we've had great encounters together and he's really getting hyped and um i ended up buying him a crossbow because it's legal here in missouri and not that i push for it like i don't shoot a crossbow but my theory behind it or idea behind it was you know it's less like scary than a rifle and it would give him more opportunities and maybe, and when he gets bigger, we can talk about just going to compound, you know, or something. But at the point it's like, well, it's legal. So if that's what he wants to do from here on out, fine. But I get to get him in the woods and he gets to hunt. So it's really going to be kind of focused with him. And which is nice because I kind of relieve some of the pressure on me, if that makes sense. Cause we try to harvest three a year for our family um, to eat just for food. Yeah. Yep. Um, so we, our family eats two and then I give one to my in-laws and they divide it up between them. So, um, our goal is always three. And so it's like, okay, well, if he shoots a buck and a doe and I'm not saying it works out that way, but hypothetically, then I can really just antler hunt. And I know that's not really, I, some people frown on the sport of it, but there's a lot of people that still enjoy just, I enjoy just watching them. But the fact that like, the idea that there's 150s or 160s out there that I've never seen or shot um, wandering around, like it's, you know, that's what the thrill of it all is to try to try to outsmart something that I haven't been able to outsmart yet. Yeah, I feel you. I feel you. Well, I tell you what, man, um, it sounds like you're uh, you're well on your way, right, to doing great things and hopefully all of the uh, – uh, the, the information that you've gained throughout the years just gets you closer and closer to accomplishing your goal, whatever goal that may be. And, uh, so let me be the first to say good luck this upcoming season, man. Hey, thanks. You too. Um, I really appreciate you having me on. I don't know if I said that at the beginning or not, but, uh, I was thinking of previously to this and messaging you is like, man, everybody talks to the top dogs. And there was, when I was listening to all those podcasts and nothing against anybody, but it was like, I heard four in one week and they all talked to the same guy. 
And I was like, man, it's just the same stories because, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I was like, there's a lot of people that have a lot of cool things to talk about and not saying that I'm one of them. I mean, I hope people enjoy it, but there's a lot of cool stuff and I just enjoy talking hunting in general. Yeah. So, That's a fact. Anytime. That's a fact that dude, the, the quote unquote average Joe's have, uh, have stories to tell too. And those stories yep. are just as good, if not better, than what some of the quote-unquote big dogs or more popular guys with big social media followings are doing. Because in a way, it's the same, or in a way, it's different from the fact that you know, like these people have jobs and families and responsibilities, and they're still getting it done. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's when I heard you say that at the end of one of your podcasts, and at the time, I don't even know if I realized that you were just talking to just a guy right yeah. and i was like shoot I'm gonna, shoot I'm gonna send him a message yeah see how this plays out absolutely it worked out great I, i've enjoyed it so cool man well hey thanks again and uh good luck hey awesome thanks you too And there you have it. Huge shout out to Taylor. Really appreciate your time coming on the podcast, man. Huge shout out to each and every one of you for taking time, not only to listen to the commercials on the front end, but I really appreciate you continuing to come back every single episode and listen to me, man. Um, I'm still kind of in shock that I've made it this far and, and I'm able to do what I'm doing with my life through podcasting. So um, thank you guys for your attention uh, and huge shout out to all the partners of the, you know, the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. I got a list here. I'm going to screw it up, but uh, we have Excalibur Crossbows, Exodus Trail Cameras, Lone Wolf Tree Stands, Ozonics, Wasp Broadheads, Vortex Optics, and Hunt Stand. Again, please go out and support those companies because they support me, and uh, it's just, uh, it's, you know, going full circle with it all. Uh, Thank you very much, and I say this all the time, and I mean it. If you try to keep a positive, if you try to keep uh, positive energy uh, and a positive mindset throughout your day and your week and your year and your life, just good things are going to come to you. It just it's automatic almost. And even when life throws you a shit sandwich, sometimes you just got to take a big fat bite out of it and smile while you're swallowing it down. It sucks, but guess what? Um, there's times when life sucks, but life is the best thing, period. So good vibes in, good vibes out, wear your safety harness, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you.